Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What happened to a large group of U.S. Air Force personnel, including high-ranking officers, in a British forest on a winter night in 1980? Are weird events still going on there? What is the significance of the binary codes? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 427th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul, and Ben is once again in transit from Emerson College in Boston, but he will call in from the train if he can, and if the conductor lets him. We have covered the Rendlesham Forest UFO case of 1980 with over 30 hours on the air since 2010, mostly on our CBS radio edition on Sunday evenings. We have done on-air panels and one-on-one interviews with almost all of the major witnesses and many top experts in the UFO field. Uh, Ben and I even spent a weekend at the site last September, accompanied by tonight's guest. Now we're getting into local witnesses who have never before been heard from, and we feel that we are still only scratching the surface. And we have done very little on this particular edition of the show for this particular audience on this subject, but I think you'll find it very interesting. Before we introduce our guest, however, let's see who won our contest from last week. The question was, lake monsters are most commonly associated with what animal? Well, the answer was the dear old plesiosaur, a seagoing critter of the prehistoric period, like way back prehistoric period. Uh, and Tanya Donahue of Medway, Massachusetts, nailed that one. A uh, well, that well, there you go. The thing's supposed to be extinct, but they resemble many of the photos that reportedly depict common lake monsters, such as our own Champ, right here in New England in Lake Champlain. So let's go now to Old England, and this evening's guest, our good friend Larry Warren, one of the prime eyewitnesses to the Rendlesham Forest incidents of 1980. Born in the USA, Larry was an Air Force uh, security officer at one of the twin NATO bases in the county of Suffolk, England, in 1980 when these events occurred. He is the co-author with our good friend Peter Robbins of the British bestseller Left at East Gate, with recounts, uh, which I should say recounts the case. Larry has appeared on radio and television around the world, many times on other versions of our show, and he lectures widely. He now resides in the UK. So, Larry, uh, welcome to the show again. Okay. Okay, well, I'm sure it's, it's like playing the violin, Larry. I'm sure, you know, riding a bike. Um, now, uh, on ON 1240 here, as I say, we haven't done very much about this case. Uh, so can you give us the basic story of what happened during those weird days in December of 1980? Right. Uh, overall, it was, uh, if you can hear me, the uh, yeah. three, uh, three nights of um, UFO activity. Uh, in the forest uh, near the air bases, uh, RAF Woodbridge, and uh, beams of light were seen to go down to the ground, and there's many different accounts of the many different things that happened. And uh, you had various different ranks that saw things, and you had uh, civilians in the area that saw things happen. And it began on the first night where these fellows thought a uh, an aircraft had crashed, and got permission to go out and investigate it, and that's where really the whole thing begins. And that's okay. Peniston and Burroughs and that bunch. Right, all, all of whom we've had on the show one time or another. So yeah, they're, yeah. yeah, it's all been on there. All right, so uh, what was but your... It's, it's a very vast uh, you know, thing, and it, there's a lot of different uh, elements and probably potential explanations for it. Sure. I, well, I, I don't know what the hell it was. I mean, I just... Yeah. I just saw how it really tried to put out how the government dealt with it. 
Okay. Uh, there's other people that claim to know what it was. I, I wouldn't want to take that responsibility. What was your particular experience? Well, mine was the third night, night three, and uh, of the main those incidents, and I was called to bring lighting equipment out to the forest. And we got out there, and uh, we got out to a place called Capel Green, where I took you out there. I think you were out in that field. Yes, I remember that. And uh, that seems to be where everything happened. I mean, because I was the whistleblower of the, you know, the whole darn thing, really. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, back in 83. And so nothing ever happened in that field. You'd always get all this stuff. And now it seems everything happened in that field. And I saw an object. I can't describe it well. I don't do justice to it in the book at all and never will. And I um, and saw a non-human presence. I don't know what else to call it. And, and that's, you know, and then we were debriefed from it. And uh, I left the military as an honorable discharge. And I'm the first one to, you know, military witness to talk about it. And yeah. I got it out and I kept it out there for years. Until other witnesses felt safe enough, I guess, to jump on, uh, you know, get out there and do whatever it is they're doing. Okay. And that's about 30 years. So I was doing it within 12 days. I mean, I called my mother within hours. It's, it's a real thing, series of real events that happened, and it's uh, real important. And I frankly, I don't see it going anywhere. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And all these years went by. I was 19 then. I'm 52 now. And... Really, and I, I think it's really kind of a pop culture story. Yeah, it's very, it's very, uh, uh, very, very, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Larry. I, the one thing I enjoyed the most when you and Ben came over and did a talk and all, I thought that was fascinating. It was one of the more interesting things I've ever seen down that way. You know, I, I, I've gone really off Wendelsham, to be honest. Isn't that funny? It's, uh, it, it is just this nefarious kind of evil circle of just human ego, and really there's not much else more to it. Yeah, there there are are factions and things that that demonstrate to me that there's another hand in this. Now, now, Larry, could you tell us, um, we have some questions from uh, people from over the pond who have uh, written in about this, and also our local audience welcome certainly to call in. Uh, this evening, there's a lot of interest in UFOs around this area. Uh, the lo- number locally is 401-766-1240. And from anywhere in the U.S., 800-449-1240. But in the meantime, Larry, uh, just if, you, if you'd tell us what, what happened to you. You had this, this incident. You went out into the forest with, I guess it was Adrian Bastenza, one of your colleagues. Uh, and, yeah, and- yeah, there was a bunch of people out there. And uh, he, he picked me up with Bruce England, uh, who's a lieutenant. Um, at that time, and uh, a couple other guys, and we went from Bent Waters out to RAF Woodbridge, and then off into the uh, the forest there, and uh, you know, went through. It, we broke up into different groups. The lighting equipment didn't work, and we got out to this field, uh, Cable Green. And funny, uh, our wing commander, our deputy base commander, Halt, told this cop over here that he. Uh, went walking around into this other field with his group and then came back the other side of the field into where we are and he doesn't have any memory of any of that. 
it's kind of the whole thing's bizarre, really. It is, yeah. And we've had Colonel Halt on the it's show. It's a real UFO thing. Yeah, it's a lot of spooks and dangerous stuff involved in it, and craziness. And they, uh, yeah, that's why I think in America, for some reason, America kind of are sleepers on all this. Uh, yet it's been on the floor of Parliament here, and you know, I don't know. I guess it's a big place there, and it's easier to get misdirected and. Yeah. Kind of be chasing your tail, I guess. I don't know. So, what happened to you after the incident? A lot of the the, the fellows uh, said they were messed with, and you had uh, an interesting story of of an underground experience, things of this kind. Uh, with, with people. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I, I the next day, I called my mother, and I was in trouble from that. You know, back in New York State, I called her from here in England, and then uh, I, uh, sure enough, you know, I had identified myself as a a, a leak, a problem. And uh, so uh, we were debriefed by a guy named, uh, you know, Major Ziegler with his office. We were debriefed and not in an underground base and all. All you have to do is be a UFO witness of any kind and you just pull your teeth out for the rest of your life on how other people retell everything. It's yeah. it's pretty bizarre world, man. So, yeah, uh, it's just the way it goes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, there, there is a suggestion of an underground facility. That could have been wing intelligence on the base, and they did a lot of narcotic intervention and hypnosis. Now, I was the first to ever talk about that. Now, again, all the other helpful Air Force guys that I went through this with are, you know, throwing their two cents in every now and then. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not that thrilled with any of the Renderson Forest guys either, any of them, because yeah. really it's just been me out there taking the crap all the years. And I think nowadays, I look back, I said, what have any of them really done for this thing? Nothing. Yeah. They didn't really take any risks or anything. Well, so let me I'm just give um, Let me just give the listeners a little bit of background. Uh, this is a part of England where, you know, if you see the movie 12 O'Clock High or Memphis Bell or something, this is where the, these bases were originally built, uh, I believe, just before World War II. And fortunately, they were in a good position to reach Europe. Uh, with the bomber, bomber command and, and, and things of this kind. And then after the, the end of World War II, they, uh, they became a part of NATO. And we're talking about Reynoldsham Forest, which was straddled essentially by two bases, RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters. And, um, Woodbridge today is still, uh, Bentwaters, if I'm, uh, if I noticed correctly, has become an industrial park, as we call it. And in, um, uh, RAF Woodbridge has be, is still in the possession of the Royal Air Force, as far as I know, and there's still military operations though, there, although it's a little yeah, bit hush-hush. It's, it's the Army on Woodbridge there. It's uh, the Army. With oh, British attack. Army. Okay. So, all right. Yeah, they, they only use half. Bentwaters, they, if you see that Fast and Furious, uh, what's his name, uh, The Rock there? Ben D, I don't know one of them. The guys I don't know, the know what popular culture. Yeah. Well, they just shot a lot of that on that bit. Oh, you know? okay. And then... Uh, so they make a lot of movies down there on Bentwaters itself. Yeah. But way back in our day, why it's important, I guess, to a few people out here in the world, I don't know, but, uh, is that we had nuclear weapons there. And ah, so, that was it. And yeah. I'm, the, I'm the only witness that talks about that because everyone else is, like, you know, enjoying their pensions and whatever. Good for them. But yeah. uh, we had nuclear weapons there. We were, uh, which, was against, which was against a treaty with the U.K., 
and which is why always on the show before, especially the, the higher ranking officers like Halt have always been very reluctant to even talk about that subject. Never mind yeah. the nuclear weapons there. But that that's interesting because well, a lot I of people about it. Phil. He doesn't need to bother himself with it. <laughs> well, a lot of people feel that 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 may have been what it, what attracted the UFOs, whatever they may have been. Now, Monroe Nevels, who was another witness, was with you that night. Uh, was was he believes that these were Soviet, some sort of Soviet incursion? This was some sort of Soviet craft. Uh, he's the only one with well, that yeah, opinion would, that I know. You, of. you would think that, and then you, you would think what he's. If I, I I knew him a little bit because yeah. he was an instructor, but I don't, he wasn't with me because he was with Hulk, which was right. hundreds and hundreds of yards away. But this were the confusion. But with. With him, he's right on that, and so you got to start applying these people going up saying they're putting their hands all over this stuff and taking notes on what they're observing. Well, it could have been a Russian enemy vehicle, and as far as I knew in the military, you know, maybe I'm stupid, I don't know, but I, I kind of recall being told not to approach an unknown uh, yeah. object or yeah. weapon, and, you know, and you certain, you know, so, and that's a big factor in this now, and everyone's supposed to swallow that like that's the reality, because these are expert military guys. The whole thing is, like, lost its mind, really, the whole event. I'm, I'm very sorry for that fact, but it, yeah. it's ridiculous. Well, stuff. the two major the stories. I'm ridiculous with it, too. It's all ridiculous stuff. Well, well, the two major stories, of course, are, are, are Larry's version, of course, which is that, that you know, you uh, you went up and, and uh, you uh, were into the field and there were quite a few people there. And then this craft with the glow around it and the small beings speaking with, was it uh, Colonel later General Williams? And, well, yeah, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was an object that appeared there and it, and it was distorted. And we were... You know, it just kind of happened right in the middle of everything. If that, some people think that's drugs. You know, they made us think that. And I don't buy that because it's left evidence. Yeah. And or something of some kind of a bet. I think when you were over, Paul, how you're talking about these elemental things and all that. Yes. This guy, I tell you, Paul, there's a great lecture. You should book him. Not him, and it's really good. Oh, thanks. And yeah, well, Ben and I have a good time doing that. Yeah. Well, that, but that to was, me, it's like some, maybe some little critters that manipulate everything in life, you know, and all this kind of, the rest of it's just wrong. It's the wrong direction. I anything's really possible. Anything's yeah. possible. But the, uh, the other uh, major occurrence was, of course, the, the uh, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs incident where they walked up, uh, particularly uh, Jim Penniston says they walked up to a, a craft that was on the ground, literally touched it. It was warm to the touch. Ooh. There were insignia on it that he wrote down. And he says yeah. that he had this binary code downloaded to him that was essentially translated, or at least some of it, as uh, you know, mission to Earth or something like that, and uh, a certain certain uh, latitude and law, you know, sort of uh, ge coordinates, geographical coordinates that I've kind of gone back and forth with them about uh, in private. And things of this kind. So all sorts of things were going on. But let's, before we continue, Larry, let, let's ask some of the questions uh, from our friends across the pond here. And this is a okay. question from uh, our good friend Brenda Butler from Le uh, Leston in Suffolk, England, not too far from there. And Brenda is um, a mutual friend of Ben's and mine and Larry's. She's a UFO researcher and author over there. And Brenda asks... Yeah, she's, she's the first uh, one to, you know, the local ladies. 
And That's right. Started looking into it. Yeah, we had our CBS version on uh, January 27th. Uh, Brenda was on with Ronnie Dugdale, another fellow in that area who's been a great help to us. He's our show reporter in uh, England. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to look up the podcast of that, it's at uh, behindtheparanormal.com. Anybody can, uh, they're free, January 27th. Uh, here's the question, Larry. Who out of the 40-odd men uh, that you say were already in the field when you and Adrian Bastinza arrived there, uh, and of the men that surrounded the craft, can you name? Don't ask me. That's what Brenda's asking. Do you expect you to remember 40 guys, I guess? I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, did oh you... you disappeared on me. I'm sorry. Oh, so I'm sorry. Uh, that's funny. All, all kinds of odd things have happened during these shows about this subject. Always. Okay, well... Uh, Brenda was asking of, of all the people standing around the craft when you walked up to it, how, how many can you name? How many can I name? That's a good question. Yeah. Not, not as many as she might want, but we know enough of them. Okay. Yeah. All right. not, no, I didn't know everybody else. I mean, there was, uh, oh, God. Well, I know Ball was there. Well, we could go like that. Well, you don't there. have I'll to name them, but uh, I guess uh, she just wants yeah. to know if you could. Yeah. Right, well, yeah, no, not every one of them, that's for sure. I just know the one that says he wasn't there was, and that's name is Williams. So there you go. Okay, and, <laughs> and he, he was the base commander. Yeah, you know, he, he just had to sue me if I'm wrong, but he won't because I'm right. I've, I've never been sued on that, everything we've said, and putting people in places because I was telling it straight, and that's okay. the bottom line. It's always been that way. All right. I, I don't know the names to everyone, and uh, frankly, uh, you know, we know Thompson, a lot of guys that just vaporize, man. These guys are just, you can't find these guys. Okay. Or they come up and, um, you know, they don't say much or nothing. Okay. Well, here's another question. This is from Archie Downs of Durham, Norfolk, England. And Archie asks, uh, how certain is Larry that his encounter was on the same night as Halt's? This is a question Ben and I have asked. Uh, and is he certain that it was the 28th into the 29th December, as it seems incredible that the two parties did not see each other, particularly when Halt's, and this is Colonel Halt, Deputy Base Commander, when Halt's team entered the farmer's field, that's the one you showed me, Cape Green, uh, as it is in direct view of his landing site, I guess meaning your landing site, so... Did, did those occur on the same night? Is that night the question? Before? Is that done, or is there more to it? That's it. That, that's, the, that's the question. Oh, that, that's, that's the question. Yeah, how, how yeah, certain? Um, no, it, it was the same. You want me to, it was the same night, and okay. Halt one was 200 yards away from us, and if Archie hangs out down that way, and go find out for himself. And, okay. uh, and we know the night it was, because we know what personnel were coming out there and what the shifts were, and Halt went into a second farmer's field, came back out, right to where ours is going on, and he doesn't have any memory. And that's coming from a CID cop. So why doesn't he have a memory walking smack dab into where my thing was going on? So, you know, Arch, get out there and uh, start looking around, man, and asking these people. (laughs) Good for you, brother. Well, there are more questions, but uh, Larry, you've had... um one of the things we ask of, of witnesses to major paranormal events such as this is um, whether you or they have had other paranormal experiences in their lives. And the answer very often is yes. And it's yes with you, too, isn't it? You, you have um, had other experiences you know, as, as if you were sort of sensitive to this kind of thing. Absolutely, I have. You know, definitely. Yeah. 
uh, a lot of strange things. You know, funny enough, my son, we keep that, we don't really throw this down at him or anything. I'm not from a family where this stuff is really popular or anything, but um, my son has got a, a sense on things. He picks up things, sees things, and uh, it's just some people do and some people don't, and it's an amazingly freaky world out there. There's some strange things about and uh, so, yeah, and maybe I was predisposed. I don't, you know, I'll never know in this life anyway. Okay. I see, I, I'm nothing special with Rendlesham other than I am the guy that kicked the door down. I'm yeah. not just the third night guy like old Arch or anyone else says. I literally am the guy that made that public, took the risk, no thanks to anybody in the UFO community. My co-author took risk, Peter Robin. Yeah, and no one's done jack the way I did, and I challenge any of them, either in or out of the military. No one in history has done what I did on this subject. No one, and that that sounds arrogant, but damn true, and I'm very proud of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, people should do their own homework because I don't want to be a messiah. There's a few others running around with uh, Rendlesham, I think. Oh yeah, no, certainly, yeah. Uh, now here's another here's a question from uh, Ronnie Dugdale, who's also a mutual mutual friend of ours from the uh, Rendlesham neighborhood. Um, Ask Larry about his uh, TDI to Egypt after the Rendlesham incident, uh, and the um, the other firm, so to speak, uh, Jim Pennison and John Burroughs, who are the other camp in this, uh, were adamant that you never went there. But at the 2012 Rendlesham conference in Woodbridge. Uh, you, meaning Larry, uh, handed me, meaning Ronnie, a selection of black and white photos that prove you had been there. So what's that about? Oh, right. That was, uh, there was this little bio Facebook thing those two fellas came up with. It was a good idea in the beginning. Then it became a real ego trip and all that. And they, and they threw everyone off. So anyway, that was something that came up. I think Penniston decided to read our book just last year, it seems. And yeah, I was, I, a number of us were sent, we left the base. We went to Egypt, a place called Area A. He seemed to find out I knew about that. And he was disputing it. And I'm there with people. There's pictures in our book that I took. And sure enough, and it was just to get people the hell off the base. Well, funny enough, I took down a bunch of pictures down to Ronnie there, and, I, and they're not black and white. I think he remembers them that way. They're in color, and uh, showed them. I said, well, here they are. And, uh, you know, in the stamp 1981, it was all Bentwater's guys. It's a funny little thing. What you got is Penniston Burroughs, that team there, um, you know, really trying to, not just me either, trying to attack everyone else's credibility and make themselves seem righteous. You know, yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, yeah. I, I just don't like them guys at all. I don't care if they're from the future or the <laughs> past or they have the keys to humanity's DNA. I, I, I don't want to know. All right. Well, you know, as as uh, Sherlock Holmes might have said, Larry, uh, this case is far from clear. There are varying accounts oh, yeah. of UFO sightings, landings, even contact that night. Uh, people don't always agree on what happened during what night. Uh, people say they were messed with by authorities trying to hush this up, as of course happened to you. And while I've personally never been involved in anything quite this epic, uh, I have been at the center of several major paranormal cases where there were a number of witnesses in different places at different times. They had different experiences or different angles on the same experience, so they all started squabbling about what happened, even though they were all correct in the long run. 
Now, in this case, there seem to be two major groups, as we've said, in the Rendlesham case. One considers your account to be the most accurate, or at least the most important, and the other group has gathered around your erstwhile colleagues, uh, Jim and John, as we've said, who recount an experience with a different craft in a different part of the forest that they believe involved time travelers. Is it possible that both accounts, in the end, really are correct? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think all of it can be correct. Uh, I, I, I just can't see it, what I saw. And, you know, people take pictures of these strange critters out in that forest. Um, you know, what Well, that, I that's saw. the next thing. It's, it's, a, it's an all-around weird place of which this incident in Ben's, in, yeah. in my opinion, is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just don't want to be... Um, those two have a book coming out with Nick Pope, and, you know, good luck to them, and we'll see how it is. I, I can't anticipate, if they've proven that that is people from outer space, uh, I'm sorry, from the future, that came back and sought out Jim Tennyson, you know, okay, well, you know, and that, that's going to be there. We did our best to prove our book that events happened, and that we wanted people to pick up the, you know, the rope and run with it. And, yeah, you know, go further than us. That was, we didn't really know. Try to put it out. Well, this is what it is. We give because we don't know. And he, they say. In fact, he doesn't just say. He says, you know, and that's the way it is. And if you don't like it, you know, that's the way it is. Well, I, I will read this book. I really will. Nick Pope's a smart guy. We'll see what he's come up with with him. And uh, then I will, if it is people from the future, I will just shut up. That's it. Uh. Well, uh, Nick Pope, everybody being uh, the former official of the British Ministry of Defense who was responsible for a UFO research there or for collecting reports, and he's been on our show a number of times as well. Now, Larry, you and I both know that sowing confusion and disagreement is a common trick by those who want to cover things up. Uh, and so perhaps um, that is a factor in this. Oh, yeah. Well, there is. And, you know, you have Penniston talking about being given injections, and it happened to all of us. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that were done to us, which is really a, a human rights kind of thing, even though you don't have human rights in the military. But the real problem is, I mean, it's gotten personal. I mean, ugly, nasty between certain parties. Yeah. Dangerously nasty, and that's all I'm going to say on that. And, that. and if that's being spun, they're doing a hell of a job because... It really is. I mean, it's dangerous stuff going down with this amongst the witnesses. And I'll leave that at that. It's way beyond, you know, oh, I don't like that guy. Or I mean, there's some ugly things afoot. People have no idea. Okay. They really don't. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, I think. And uh, we will be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, with minus the band tonight, with our guest Larry Warren on WOON, 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. If you're concerned about 2013, relax. It's actually the 14th year of the 21st century and a great time to get an astrological chart done. This year, I'm offering an added feature. I'm including lucky numbers on request with each chart or update at no extra fee. Discover what tomorrow will bring in regard to money, health, job, relationships, or possible windfalls. Call me at 401-333-4048 for information on getting your individual chart or update. 
Give your life a fresh start. Welcome the changes the planets are providing. I'm also available for private parties and speaking engagements for groups. Look forward to enjoying your future this year. Call me, Russ Gorman, at 401-333-4048. That was quick, and we're right back here with our wonderful guest, Larry Warren. Now, Larry, uh, let's uh, let's continue here with uh, just one uh, question that I had. Uh, you were there, of course, when Ben and I spoke last September in Woodbridge uh, near Rendlesham Forest, and you and everyone else made us feel so welcome. We'll never forget it. Uh, you also accompanied oh, us. You were great. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed hearing you too. It was refreshing. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. I mean, there's one who was there. Uh, and of course, you accompanied us to the forest over the two days we were there. Uh, ben had such an experience; he didn't want to go back on the second day. Um, what did you oh, think my. of our What did you think of our contention that what happened to you and others over those nights was just part of a long string of events that go back to the Saxons, pretty much, uh, that are still going on in this amazing thin place where, in our opinion, parallel worlds seem to blend so easily? You seem to be impressed well. with our talk. Yeah, no, 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 very much so. Uh, yeah, I was with that. I was. I, I really think it's uh, it's kind of a what did Peter Robbins call it? Black hole Disneyland. The more I look at it, there's a place in uh, New York State called Pine Bush, and that has a lot of history, like I think, uh, like uh, Renishim Forest that came. So yeah, there, there's stuff going on all the time. Yeah. Now, according to one of these other Renishim guys, goes there's nothing from outer space coming here which I don't know. I kind of suspect there always has been. And, you know, people that say that are full of it and in general and all the rest of it. It's just folks coming back from the future and, you know, good luck. And that, so I think it's way more than that. And I'm yeah. kind of in with what you're saying, the Ang- Anglo-Saxon thing. And um, it is a bizarre, freaky place. You feel a lot of different things. And it's probably always been that way. It's turned into a little bit of a, you know, a touristy kind of thing for that. And there's people that hide out in the woods and camouflage, I guess, and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. uh, good, good for that. And uh, it goes on. The stuff is seen. Peter and I in 88 had an amazing sighting and um, in near Bentwater, and it was stunning. And we recorded all of it. You've heard us talk about that. And sure. It was really yeah. amazing. We saw just about everything you could imagine it's on display, and it almost seems stage-managed or scripted. <laughs> so maybe it is by this other intelligence to say, oh, is this what you want? Well, we, heard, uh, that we heard stories of uh, aliens, ghosts, yetis, sensitive people collapsing and receiving messages from weird beings. Uh, ben didn't even make it out of the parking lot before that happened to him, and just about everything yeah. else. So... Uh, one of the things that, that we contend with places like Rendlesham Forest is that uh, all sorts of things can and do happen there because of the same process. Now, I'm wondering uh, a number of things. Uh, one is about these binary codes. And, of course, a binary code, for those who don't know, is just a bunch of ones and zeros that put together in certain combinations can uh, be translated into into words, and it was the origin. The, it was really the first the basis of the first computer language when uh, computers began to progress uh, several decades ago. Now, this is what people, not just 
our friend Jim Penniston seemed to have downloaded, if you want to put it that, at this place, but also uh, Brenda Butler, who wrote, wrote one of the questions that we just read, and a number of other people whom we are starting to unearth and uh, have on the show. Um, are you you're, are you involved in that process at all, uh, working with uh, Brenda or Larry on any of that, or have you been familiar with any of the other people who've said they've received binary codes? Uh, the, there? Bi- the binary thing, uh, am I involved? No. No, I, it, to me, it's just the, the current kind of hype thing. And if people are getting these, great. And it's, it, they're in gym and if it, all this sort of thing went on. I, it's not my area. And I am really glad that it isn't. And, okay. Um, I, I'm not good with numbers anyway. So they probably just left me out of it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll I'm not keep... making fun of it, but it's just, it'd be just one more. It's a very popular uh, issue, I guess you could say right now. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll keep, um, We'll keep everyone informed on that. Uh, there's another question from... Yeah, uh see what he comes up with. Yeah. We'll, uh, we have another question here from Ronnie Dugdale uh, in England, and he asks uh, about your relationship with Georgina Bruni, author of the book, You Can't Tell the People. Uh, you had dis- oh, great. Uh, he said you had disagreements uh, with her over mm-hmm. her handling of your account in her book and the public apology mm-hmm. that she eventually issued to you. So could you tell us about what happened there? I'm not familiar with that. Oh yeah, well that's a that's a great uh, question. I like that. She, uh, I'm really difficult guy. If things that I've said hasn't been accurately dealt with or honorably dealt with, now I knew Georgina very well. You see, people like you know don't realize we actually knew each other. She is deceased. She had, uh, I I believe, breast cancer, and I kind of knew about it before the average the public kind of knew about it. it. Was sad. So she passed on. And we were all right when she passed on. And she wrote this book, You Can't Tell the People. It's a very interesting book. There are very valuable things in it. And, uh, but when it came to me, um, you know, you know, upset a woman. And her and I got, you know, in an outrageous uh, battle over certain items that were passed to me. I sent them to her. She was going to put them in her book. I had to protect the source. And therefore, if you read her book, when it, as it deals with me, you'll see many, many things backing me up, many other things not backing me up. And it's a very schizophrenic kind of thing, uh, you know, recounting of me in it, certainly, and, you know, kind of the bad guy and all this. And, you know, but that's the way it went. Her book came out, and um, some years later, she uh, had some other people admit what I said was true all along. And she stood here and leads and said and apologized for it. It was, I think it was 2001. And I was right there and, you know, kind of the audience got kind of mad because they, a number of them had read that book. And I imagine this new book, uh, you know, it's going to just be, you know, a total wince job when it comes to me. And I, I, I prefer to just stay out of it because I'm not part of these binary things. I don't want to be. But, um, <clears throat> so Georgina, very common with witnesses, you know, these people write books. She wrote her book because of our book, 100% because of it. And so the other team uh, liked to reference her book, but what I want you quite often and ignore ours, and that's fine. But what the point is, is that Georgina did come around. We put everything to bed. Uh, I'm very sorry she passed on. And these guys have tried to make some annoying 
thing about it. It's very juvenile, the whole thing. We actually knew each other. These guys didn't know Georgina personally. Yeah. So I've had that tennis been shadowing me on every damn thing I've done for the last 10 years. Uh, and it's just the way it is. So I'm just got to wonder. I just shot a program for the History Channel over here that I'm sure those guys were jumping through hoops uh, with anger <laughs> over. Yeah. And uh, it was some guy named Sean Ryder who was in a, a rock band or some kind of thing out of Manchester. You know, a well-known English pop personality or something. And it's on UFOs, and Travis Walton and I were on it, too. And we went around the forest. Yeah. You know, the, the way this world is, Paul, because then we, this, this idiot production company went down to, like many of them are, down to the uh, Rumsham Forest, kind of the Forestry Commission people. This guy comes out, gives them a map of the location of the incidents, and saying, why don't you ask me? I went through it. Gives these bozos the map, and the, the locations have nothing to do with any event, John, Jim, Hall, anybody, me, nothing. And I said, listen, this isn't even right. And they got all upset and threatened to call the police. But, um, you know, this was kind of you know, clowns down there. They have these signs and trails in the woods. And yeah. they mislead people. It's a big place. Yeah. And so Georgina was misleading with certain things in her book. But And I started to go to war with her on it on the Internet in 2001 or when the book came out. But my boy had just gotten born. And, you know, there goes life on that. It's yeah. an important thing. But she's dead now. But other people like to stir that. And, you know, I really don't give a okay. damn what they do anyway. Well, that was a question. But a great question. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, we've been there. Ben and I have been there with certain producers, and there are several we refuse to work with. Uh, of course, they usually come back and tell us we're too intelligent, so they, they never produce the show. But in any case, uh, I wanted to ask you, <laughs> in your – no, that, that's true. It's no joke. They they, uh, they tell us that. But anyway, Larry, oh, uh, in your – in your excellent book, uh, which is a riveting read, A Left at Eastgate, written, as, I, as we say, with Peter Robbins, I uh, was amazed, especially not only at the account of what happened to you on that night, but what, what happened to you on the night you went back there for the first time with Peter when you were working on the book. Yeah. And you went, was that in the same farmer's field that we visited? It was not far from that hotel, actually, where you spoke. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, can you tell us about that incident? It was really remarkable. It was, it was like nothing had yeah, changed. Yeah, it wasn't in the far, Rendlesham Forest. It was down that way. Uh, it was near Bedwaters. And it was just about everything you could imagine, you know, just thrown right out in front of them. I mean, Peter didn't talk to me for almost a year. Really? Well, well could you describe no. what uh, what you saw? Well, there, there was, uh, if we had had cameras, I, I guess Peter did. I, we didn't bring it. And, uh, we, we tape recorded everything. And it was just about every kind of thing that you'd find in the Hulk document, actually green fireballs with tails going through the trees, um, figures on the ground, uh, with bright lights, uh, uh, you know, these triangular things flying through the sky and all out in the area it was just like let's put this on for him it, it was really artificial that's what i, I guess how it seems it, it, our first night there and this activity uh happened and it was very very strange it was and we literally peter i think uh we fell out for a bit over that yeah it was like if you think about it then the phenomena happened funny enough very creepy oh very and much it, it did it was, having been I there ourselves 
Yeah, but having been there ourselves, I can certainly testify that that's no exaggeration. Now, one thing I've noticed, the photos we took that night we were out there, which was in September of last year, it was you and Brenda and a few of our listeners from that um, uh, that area I went out at night, uh, and Ben had his experience. It was like, and, and he does, I'm used to it kind of by now. It's sort of the, the shaman thing. Uh, he just yeah. sort of just, he collapsed. And uh, it was weird because remember the the, uh, the dogs down the road started whining, and then the, the dogs uh, who belonged to one of the uh, the dogs that belonged to one of the people who was with it were with us. Kind of got upset, mm-hmm. and uh, he had never even made out of the parking lot before that happened. But in any case, that that is the sort of thing that happens to a number of people there. And when the photographs came out, and I don't know if I've told you this yet, that I took there are strange lights in there, and this is a very very rural area. There are no there, there are no, there's no yeah. light source, and all I could think of was that night and the descriptions that I've heard from you and others of the 1980 incident. You know, the strange lights moving through the trees. I'll send you some some copies yeah. of those pictures. Oh, fact, I, I, I'd love to see that. It is a creepy place. It will drain you out. I remember Ben uh, having that happen. It was, I can understand that. He's just he's, he's like a. You know, I'm not putting anybody down that has had things. Maybe Peniston the future and it is that or it's something deceiving him or whatever. I know they had enough and that's it. So, but unfortunately with this, there's a real lot of nasty business in it between people. They're loving this one other thing where Peter said, I said a white lie. Now this is something out in Phoenix. Now Peter's a very theatrical guy He's from a theatrical background. Oh, is that the AG UFO, and, uh, UFO conference in Phoenix, uh, MUFON conference? Yeah. Was it? And well, I think it was, and he went out. And this has come up a lot, and they're like trying to turn us in on each other. And what it is, Peter has very, uh, you know, very dramatic uh, language. That's how he is. Yeah, Peter Robbins, your co-op, Broadway kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadway kind of guy, and theater and all that kind of thing. And so he uses language that hasn't been heard in the West for 150 years. I mean, he just is an old-school dude. So he said a, a saying and never closed it, but the other cat loves this, where he said, Larry told a, 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 white li- a little white lie, and, and they're like, oh, see, he had to come all the way to Phoenix to feel safe enough to say that. Well, well, what, what, what was that with, supposed to be about? <laughs> Sorry? What was that supposed to be about, the so-called lie? Well, unfortunately, Peter never said to the audience what it was about, and thus it's caused a lot of uh, trouble and has fed into the um, the other team. And so I will settle that now. What it was, and it is recounted in our book exactly like it and what it is, is that when I came out and, um, you know, I, I did an interview, I think that Linda Howe, Moulton Howe, and... 1985 and all. I've been around a long time. It's longer than any of them. And so anyway, um, there was a point when I was dealing with this cop, Larry Foster, out of Connecticut, where, matter of fact, uh, we were trying to get Sergeant Adrian Bestemda to, uh, you know, just get on board and say things and all. And he didn't do it for a number of reasons. And he did not bring up the underground thing he said, it's something I told him at that time. Now, I'm going way back. 
And I felt kind of betrayed by it, and I said, well, all that underground stuff, that happened to him. I was just saying it just to get it out there, the underground thing, right? Sounds ridiculous if you don't yeah, know yeah. So after, you mean you're referring to after the experience of being so taken was, to yeah, an underground facility stupid, and You know, dumbass 20-something-year-old kid thing to do. And um, so I did it. And then, um, sure enough, uh, years later, of course, that is recounted in our book exactly what that was. It was just a minor thing. And then Adrian did come forth and, you know, say, yeah, things are as they were. So, right. And I do write about that. So, but these guys are like, you know, I, the whole incident's a white lie. And, you know, they're very nefarious, naughty little fellows. Yeah, these things get, get they're very little. Picked up and run. And, you know, so that's what that with. is, folks. That you can all put it in your pipe and smoke it. Right. If you know what I'm even talking about. But these things keep coming up and up, and you have to really watch what you say because Peter just said that and probably forgot what he was going to say next, and went on to the next thing. Well, these guys are rubbing their, you know, little furry tentacles and just, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Loving every moment of it. It's a and shame. You know, these incidents have such important implications. It's a shame they have to descend into uh, into politics, so to speak. But uh, Larry, oh, it's, it's schoolyard. It's schoolyard. Uh, it's schoolyard level stuff. It ain't. Yeah. I wouldn't even give it the class of calling it politics. Schoolyard. Well, again, it's typical of cover-ups. You know, because yeah. Because we, when I had military intelligence training. We were told essentially that by the time the 60s rolled around, they realized they couldn't really keep secrets anymore because everybody blabs everything. And now, of course, forget it because you've got the Internet and everything else. And the, oh, uh, yeah. the idea was instead of, of uh, trying to keep a secret, you, you, you release accurate information from inaccurate sources and inaccurate information from accurate sources, and everybody keeps guessing. And people love it to death mm -hmm. because everybody loves a mystery. So, I mean, if, this seems to be a classic exercise in a cover-up. Oh, yep. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Halt on that. But, you know, they try to make it out like I was the uh, Manchurian candidate that got out. and You know, but Jim Pennison's the only one that can claim for certain that it was people from the future. As far as I know, John Burroughs doesn't know it's someone from the future. In fact, did not even see what Jim described. Yeah. Or see Jim touch the object. Now, there's a lot of things people are going to ask. They've asked them of me, and, you know, and they, I've, I've had the one who asked and I really hope that they're like, they they prepare for what's going to happen. But it's much bigger than any of us, isn't it? You know, oh, I yes. think Hall has it right. Where he's, you know, he's called me like the poster boy for the intelligence community. And that, that's a bit insulting, you know. Yeah. You, you can see where they're trying to go with it and, you know, the angles and all. I'm not a military-minded guy. I went in for all the right reasons to serve my country and... I got served up on a plate. I saw what it was about. You see all these soldiers right now uh, from England and America all there in these ridiculous places coming back, you know, with pieces missing and, you know, living in boxes on the street. So, you know, yeah. so that's what they do to you. Well, let's, uh, let's look at... There's no viva la cause. I could care less. It's rotten. Let's look a little bit at, at what happened to you afterwards. You are the, it's interesting, I find, that you are the only one of the major witnesses who did not stay in the Air Force. You, uh, were, uh, yeah. labeled with some sort of medical condition you did not have, and you received a medical discharge, and then when you tried to get back yeah, in, they wouldn't no, let no, you back no, in. I don't have a medical discharge. Oh, you didn't? It's okay. Oh, it was an honorable discharge. No, okay. All right, but in any no, case, I have they... a fully honorable discharge, and it's a reenlistment code that doesn't exist. 
They had me in backline jobs, and I just wanted to get out of the base, and I was misled. I was told if I left the right. Air Force, it's in the book, I could yeah. come back into another AFSC. And but I, I never had a medical discharge. There's a lot of myths and nonsense. All not your fault either. But uh, no, I have fully honorable discharge, and I had an RE of 4M, which Halt looked into my medical records. And this is an absolute, I'm quoting him on this because it's true. He said when, because he worked with the NSA, he was on some board of something. Yeah, the National other. Security Agency, and, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I'm the one that linked that with this. But uh, he, funny enough, he said he, when he called and asked about me, he had never had a call back so quick in his career, and he said they turned all the questioning around on him. Hmm. Well, you know, yeah. yeah. I, uh, no, I'll just say, w w regarding Colonel Halter, I'm thinking, too, that the, the first show you were ever on together was our show in April yeah. 2010 when we had the panel, and he finally admitted that you were out in that field that night. And yeah, I, and that I was the first time. a lot, and... But he used to say Adrian wasn't there and all kinds of other people. But I wasn't with him, per se. But he, there, there's, I don't know. I think with me, it's because his name was on that memo. And I'm the one oh, that the got famous the famous Halt memo, memo that was released, yeah, about the incident to the them. British Ministry of Yeah, and so yeah. he thought his career was over. And because of me, now I got out, it was just, uh, if I had gone to any other base, uh, let's be honest here, any other base, and I was the last person in the Air Force to get the guaranteed country of choice, which is England. Yeah. But I was, and there's a whole other side story with all this I won't go into with on why I got there, and it just doesn't add up anymore. But anyway, they, there's a lot of things that I deal with with it that just, just doesn't add up to me. Didn't you but, have... Uh... That, I'm sorry. Now, didn't you have a sort of uh, what might be called the man in black experience or the equivalent thereof uh, after you got back to the States? So someone you met someone and, and uh, that's in the book as well. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, they, they, they were just feds, you know, on our base. They came up and they grabbed me and a, another witness. And that's where the probably the, the mind control or the injections were given and all that. But I wrote that chapter just like it was. I've had, I, I have had people throughout when this was really cooking around in the 80s and CNN had it. Um, I had, I was approached definitely by people and all kinds of stuff went on. My family saw it and very heavy stuff going on there because they, they really scared the Westies were going to get involved in it. There was some issue there. And, uh, that was the Cold War when it came out. Yeah. You yeah, know? Yeah. And, well, yeah, there was uh, a lot so, of paranoia. Yeah, I would imagine with the, the traditional men in black kind of thing, I think the way the mind control stuff was done, it all came out like those hokey, uh, you know, B science fiction movies. But in reality, they were kind of agent kind of people. And the, the positions of where we were, the base itself was uh, dreadful. And let's be honest, if I'd gone to any other air base, I probably would have had a retired from the Air Force. Yeah, but then this damn thing happened there. But um, I think now back on why I was on that base, the things I never—I don't want to get wiggy with it, but it doesn't add up. There, there's things that I think a lot of us were put in place, and I never on these programs can get into that or anything. So I'm going to write about it and, because I too have another book on its way. Oh, okay. Ooh. I suspected as much. <laughs> oh yeah. 
And it's, uh, I do, and it's, uh, it's, it's not just this, but it's going to be a lot. It's just going to be some explorations of things I've thought about with it. Yeah. And, uh, some things, so I do too, but I'm not going to hide things. That'd be kind of fun too. Well, keep and us posted on that. We'll, uh, I'd like to kind of be in the loop on that one. Oh, I want you in the loop. It's called a misguided missile, and then the sub, and that would be me, and uh, then the subtitle. And I'm going to do it. And you know, people, I have, thank God, I have people to consult with and work with on it, and a lot of them fun. But I, I want to explore some other stuff that happened to me, and I don't want to do it in ten years because I'd be, I might not be alive then. But I want to yeah. do a, you know, just a little more rounding out of what happened to me. To kind of put it to bed for maybe my son, because Left to the Escape, very proud of the book and, and Peter and all that. But in reality, it, it was written by a, a guy in his late twenties. My parts of it. Yeah. Well, why and, don't we? I have... really wanted to write it and just throw it away and run yeah. from it. So I, a lot of that I was in my twenties. Okay. Well, bef before we uh, before we run out of time, there, Larry, uh, tell us. Is, I know the book is out of print in this country or or, or completely. How can people get hold of it? I got I got it from what, Amazon. What book is, what, what book is that? Uh, Left at East Gate. Oh no no Left at East Gate's in uh, uh, you know just go on Amazon. It's Cosmo on demand. Yeah, that, you might yeah, not okay. find it sitting in, but it is uh, absolutely a very successful book, still in print, sixteen years later, okay. and it's the two thousand five updated edition where Bud Hopkins did the foreword. Great, Larry, and that, uh, that is available on Amazon. Good. I'm afraid we're out of time, Larry. I had another uh, another question or two, but we'll have you back, and because uh, we have to get off the air a few minutes early because we're being preempted by Bryant College basketball. So, Larry no Warren, I, I hope to see you soon, my friend. I hope so too. I hope we'll be back real soon, Larry. You're you're always a good friend, and we'll be talking to you soon uh, off the air. Well, thanks for supporting us. Well, thank you for everything. All right. Good, good <laughs> evening. Then. Okay. Okay, folks. We're just about out of time here. So. We are uh, going to suggest that you look at BehindTheParanormal.com for all kinds of free podcasts and information. You can also buy my books there, subscribe to our newsletter, or become a reporter for our show. And there are nearly 450 free podcasts there. So many thanks to our producer this evening, our dear friend Steve Bianchi. And next week, March 4th, we will welcome Neil, we we'll try to welcome again, hasn't worked out yet, but Neil Hobbs from the University of Rhode Island for a discussion of H.P. Lovecraft and the paranormal. H.P. Lovecraft being the famous horror writer from Providence, who was a distant cousin of Ben's and mine, and well known in that community. Uh, what did he know, and when did he know it? Or did he know it? And Ben will be back at the studio with us next week, because he'll be on spring break, so that'll be a treat. On our CBS Radio edition on March 3rd, Ben and I will welcome Tom Reed and Jim Morris for a discussion of the use of lie detectors in paranormal cases, specifically in the reported alien abduction of Tom's whole family. And we leave you this evening with a thought from that grim old darling Edgar Allan Poe. It is by no means an irrational fancy that, in a future existence, we shall look back upon what we think our present existence has been a dream. Thanks a lot for listening, and we bid you good evening. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.